We want to turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Leviticus. I'm going to try to save all of my introductory remarks for after I read my text and you are seated. We're going to re read from Leviticus 27 and going to start verse 30. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. Bible says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Everyone say it's the Lord's. It is holy. Everyone say it's holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. As I said, I'm going to save my introductory remarks. I'll let us pray and let you be seated and then I'll say a few things before I get started in the lesson today. But I do want us to go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask God to help us. I need His help. I need His touch today in a very special way. I need the strength of God today. I know that He is able. Amen. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands and... Lift our voices, and let's ask God to talk to us today. Could we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus, I need you, God. I ask you, Lord God, that you would hear us today. You would help us, Master. God, I need the touch of God. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your wisdom. I need your power. God, I can do nothing without you. God, I've got to have your help today. Touch us, God. Lord, anoint your servant today for the sake of this people. Bless, God, these wonderful saints. I pray, oh God, that you would help each of us to learn more about what pleases you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, it should be obvious from my text that I'm going to be dealing with the subject of money today. And that's uh, it's a dangerous topic to get on. And I've said it before, but I had an elder say years ago, you really want to make people mad, either talk about their children or their money. I'm going to try to leave your children alone today. Okay. 
but your pocketbook is in danger. Now, let me, let me say this. Let me say this. I know that there are those out there, unfortunately, that have given the church and the ministry a bad name because it seems like all they want to do is talk about money. And they make everything about money. And so it has turned so many people off to the point that they don't think that preachers ought to even discuss it. And I'm here to tell you that just because there are some charlatans out there that are abusing the topic, that does not mean that the ministers of the gospel ought to avoid the subject. You might be surprised to learn, and you can search this out for yourself, but you might be surprised to learn that if you, if you write down every reference Jesus ever made to heaven and hell put together, he did not talk about those two subjects as much as he talked about money. Run the numbers for yourself. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell together. Because obviously, money has a huge impact on our lives. And it is the Apostle Paul who made the statement that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so let me ask you, what do you think the enemy is going to spend a lot of his time trying to get us to fall in love with? Knowing that that's the root of all evil. And if the enemy is going to focus so much of his energy and attention on this subject, Somebody's got to stand up and tell the truth about it. Somebody's got to declare what the scripture has to say. Now for those who would try to accuse me of being a money hungry preacher, let me tell you, first of all, it has been just about four and a half years since I have taken one service and dealt with the topic. And in fact, if you go back and check the records over the last 12 years, which I didn't go back any further than that. I guess I could have gone back and researched all 26, but I felt like a dozen years was good enough. But over the last 12 years, and now I'm sorry, but I'm having a senior moment. It was either three or four times in 12 years total. So don't, don't accuse me of being money hungry. Because one Sunday morning I decide this is where I need to go. I told my wife last night I've been feeling this for a few days. Of course, then I start getting a little uptight as we get close to service. And I'm thinking, well, what if we have a house full of visitors? This might not be a good subject. But the Lord always knows. He always knows. 
And so I will tell you today that this is not aimed at any individual. It's not aimed at any person. It's simply a declaration of truth as your pastor. Because it is a biblical subject. And if the Bible addresses it, then I should too. In fact, I don't know how many of you have listened to this week's podcast. I got on another subject this week in the podcast that a lot of folks say we shouldn't be talking about. I'm not even going to tell you what subject it was because you should be listening to the podcast. So go find out. I do believe that this is a topic of absolute importance. And at the same time, I do understand those who are sensitive toward the topic, and I guess that's the reason why I tend to avoid it. But there are times that I just feel in my spirit that I can't avoid it any longer. And I've got to say something. And so I'm going to address today this subject the truth about tithing. The truth about tithing. Now, there's a whole lot of things being said about it. And I'm finding even in Pentecostal circles and even in some so-called apostolic circles, people who make all kinds of claims about how tithing is not important. It's not necessary and in fact, there are some that will tell you that to preach tithing is an imposition of Old Testament law. So we're going to address that today. We're going to talk about it based on what the Bible has to say. First and foremost, let's talk about that very thing. and Let's discuss the fact that yes, tithing does have its roots in the Old Testament. But here's some things you need to consider before you use that as your reason why you don't believe we should practice tithing today. Let's start with 2 Timothy 3.16 and see what the Apostle Paul had to say in the New Testament. All Let's start here, read. All Scripture is given by inspiration wait of a minute, God. Wait a minute, what is that first word? All. What is that first word? All. Does that include Old Testament scripture? Yes, sir. In fact, it not only includes Old Testament scripture, at the time Paul was writing it, that's what he was talking about. Because when Paul wrote these words, there was not yet a New Testament written. And the only scripture that he had to reference was Old Testament scripture. And so all scripture is what? Given by inspiration by, of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's profitable for doctrine. 
Paul, as an apostolic preacher, is writing to an apostolic preacher. And he said, if you want to know how to build doctrine, you go to the Scripture. And as I said, the only Scripture he had in his possession at that time was the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you that everything that we preach and believe is founded in the Old Testament. Everything. Those of you that have heard me teach on water baptism, you know I'll start in the Old Testament. In fact, I'll go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I'll show you the importance of water baptism from the very act of creation. I'm here to tell you everything that we believe as New Testament saints, as a New Testament church, has its roots in the Old Testament. And if we start throwing away things that were founded in the Old Testament, we don't have anything left. When the apostles preached, that's all they had to preach from. Well, praise God. Everything we believe is rooted in the Old Testament. Let's read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. For if he were here on, were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished, admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, verse 5 says that these things serve as an example and a shadow of heavenly things. The things that happened under the Old Testament law were given as a shadow of heavenly things. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them now for examples. all these things happen to them for examples. For examples or examples. And they are written for and our admonition. And they're written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. He's speaking specifically of the Old Testament. And he said everything that happened in the Old Testament happened as an example for us. And everything that's written in the Old Testament is written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So I reject this idea that just because it started in the Old Testament. It does not apply to us today. In fact, this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, listen to it from the New Century Version. It says, the things that happened to those people are examples. They were written down to teach us. Let me ask you, when Peter got up and preached about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and he wanted to explain it to people? What did he do? How did he explain it? What did he use? He went to the Old Testament. 
He went to the prophet Joel. And when they're standing there saying, what meaneth this? He said, I'll tell you what meaneth this. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the first sermon preached after the birth of the church, the text came from the Old Testament. Well, when James stood before the early church and there was a huge controversy about whether or not Gentiles should be accepted into the kingdom, do you know how James defended accepting the Gentiles? Listen to Acts 15, verses 13 through 18. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree, and to this agree the words, the of, words the of the the Old Testament prophets. Read. As it is written. As it is written. After this I will return. I will return. And build again, build again the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David. Which has fallen down. Yes. And I will build again the ruins thereof. Yes. And I will set it up. Right. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all and the Gentiles. All the Gentiles. Upon whom upon my name whom is my called. Name is called said the Lord, saith the Lord. Who does all these who things. all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So when James wanted to prove that God has always intended for the Gentiles to be a part of the church, he went back and found an Old Testament passage and preached from that Old Testament passage and convinced the New Testament church this is the way it ought to be. When Jesus fought the devil, do you know what he did? He quoted the Old Testament. It is written. Where was it written? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Where is that written? In the Old Testament. When Philip converted the Ethiopian, where was he preaching from? The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. When Stephen preached to the angry multitude in Acts chapter 7, you know where he was preaching from? The Old Testament. I'm telling you, everything we believe from the plan of salvation, of course the doctrine of the oneness of God, all of this, comes to us from the Old Testament. And there are literally hundreds of New Testament passages that quote the Old Testament. There's a whole lot of things that if we're going to throw out tithing because it's based in the Old Testament, there's a lot of things we're going to have to throw out, including the doctrine of creation Because that's rooted in the Old Testament. Well, praise God. 
So what we've got to do is we've got to learn how to rightly divide the Scriptures. We've got to learn to distinguish between the Old Testament and Mosaic Law. Because that's really what they're saying. Not just that it's Old Testament, though that's what they usually say. What they mean is this came under Moses' law. But even then, understanding Moses' law is essential. Because Moses' law involved a lot of things, some of which are still in effect today. I'm going to prove that to you. You see, really, there were three parts to Moses' law. This is what people who don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, this is what they fail to understand. There were three parts to Moses' law. And that's because the Jewish people fit into three distinct categories as a people. And they had a set of laws that governed each of those categories. First of all, they were a Jewish nation. All right? And as a nation, they had to have a civil law. Now, do, do you understand the terminology I'm using? We're living in the nation of the United States of America. And our nation has civil law. There are laws on the record. There are laws that have been passed by our legislators that govern our actions. Civil law deals with crime and punishment, deals with caring for the poor. And under the Jewish civil law, crime and punishment, caring for the poor, the treatment of strangers, foreigners that would come into their nation, all of that was a part of their civil law that applied to them as the nation of Israel. Now, secondly, they were not just a Jewish nation. They were a Jewish religion. Their religion and their nation were not the same thing. Because when they're carried off into captivity, they still are expected to observe their religion. Though they're under different civil laws. Is everybody with me? They still had to practice the Jewish religion. So there's a set of laws that affected them and their religion. And this was what was called the ceremonial law. The ceremonies. The religious ceremonies. All right? I, I, I don't want to confuse you in this. I, I hope that I can at least get a good, as they say, a good Baptist nod out of this. And not that you're nodding off, but that you're nodding yes. I hope I can get some kind of a response here so I know you're understanding what I'm telling you. But there was the civil law that dealt with them as a nation. There was the ceremonial law that dealt with their religious ceremonies. 
These things involve their form of worship. Their dietary rules. What they could eat and not eat. Their holidays. Their sacrifices. All of that's a part of their religion, not their civil government, but their religion. But then they were not just a Jewish nation and a Jewish religion. Above all else, they were God's people. And there was a third set of laws that applied to them as God's people. And that was God's moral law. It involved issues of morality. Defining what was holy and what was profane. What was right and what was wrong. It expressed God's sense of morality. And this superseded all other law. All right? Let's talk about this for a minute because I want to make sure you understand this. What about thou shalt not kill? Was that a part of the law? Well, yes. But what part? This was not their civil law. It was not their ceremonial law. This was God's moral law. Because God said it is immoral to take a life. Now it got incorporated into their civil law and their ceremonial law. But it was a part of God's morality. Murder is sin. Whether the one being murdered has been born or not. Murder is a sin. It defies God's morality. When God would declare that something was an abomination unto Him, that was a part of His morality. Saints, I, I can't, I don't think I could spend too much time making sure you've got clarity on this. Because a lot of people will take you to passages of Scripture and show you, for example, Deuteronomy 22. They'll take you through and say, look, it says here that you can't, can't plow your ground with an ox and a donkey together. Well, you don't obey that. But you look at verse 5 where God gives us very clear distinction on the way men and women should dress. And say you want to pick this one verse and you want to obey that verse. But you don't want to obey about not plowing with an ox and a donkey. Uh, th that same passage uh, or same chapter talks about not planting various kinds of seeds together. Uh, not making garments out of two different kinds of materials. You don't want to obey any of that. But you pick just that one verse, verse 5, and you want to obey that. You're inconsistent. No, I'm not. There's a difference between verse 5 and the other verses in that chapter. The difference is verse 5 identifies what's going on there as an abomination unto God. That means God hates that. 
that becomes a part of God's morality. He didn't say it's an abomination to plow with two kinds of animals. He didn't say it's an abomination to make garments with two kinds of materials. He didn't say it's an abomination to plant your garden with two kinds of seeds. He just taught the Jews not to do that. Depending on the issue, whether it was them as a nation or them as a religion. But when it came to the, 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 the matter of adornment and dress, God made that a moral issue. Men dressing like men and women dressing like women is a part of God's morality. And because it's a part of God's morality, it supersedes the other law. Just like thou shalt not kill. Do we believe thou shalt not kill is still a sin today? Well, wait a minute. That was under Moses' law. Do we believe it's still a sin to bear false witness? Do we believe it's still a sin to to commit adultery? Well, why do you believe all those things when they're rooted in the Old Testament law? The reason is because these are a part of God's morality. They have nothing to do with the civil government of the Jewish nation. They have nothing to do with the ceremonial forms of Jewish worship. They have everything to do with what God says is right and wrong. Now look, we as the church, the church is made up of people from many nations. Right here locally, we are an American nation. Right? We're the United States of America. This is our nation. We have a national government. We have civil laws passed by that national government. We don't obey the Jewish civil law. Jewish civil law said if, a, if, if, if somebody committed adultery, you put them to death. That was civil law. Crime and punishment was civil law. Now, adultery is still a sin, but the punishment was a part of their civil law. We don't do that today because we're not a Jewish nation. We're not bound by Jewish civil law. The government of the United States determines the rules for crime and punishment. Determines how we're going to care for the poor. Those are the decisions of our government. We as a church are a Christian religion. We're not a Jewish religion. Are you with me today? We don't follow the Jewish ceremonies. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We don't keep the Jewish holidays. We don't observe uh, tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets. 
We don't, we don't do those things. We worship God on Sunday rather than Saturday. Those things were a part of the Jewish ceremonial law that governed their form of worship as a Jewish religion. We don't adhere to the Jewish religion. We're Christians. That was the big argument in the New Testament. When Gentiles started coming in, they wanted all the Gentiles to start keeping the Jewish religion. And it had to be proven to them that that's not what we do as Christians. We're not bound by the Jewish ceremonial law. But, remember the third category for the Jews was that they were God's people. Does that apply to us as Christians? Absolutely it does. We are the people of God today. And as the people of God, the law that governs God's people still governs the church today. Because the moral law reflects God's morality. And Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. So if God ever said He hated something, He still hates it today. When God talked about the way men ought to dress like men, women ought to dress like women, He said, I hate it when they blur those lines. That still applies to the church today. When God said, I hate witchcraft, that still applies to the church today. When God said, I hate homosexuality, that still applies to the church today. Those things may be found in the Old Testament, but God declared they were a part of His morality. And therefore, they are still binding upon us today as the church. In fact, if you'll think about it. Everything that's a part of God's morality was actually before Moses' law. Let's think about this. We don't have to get very far after the creation of mankind. And we see Cain murdering his brother. Now, this is long before Moses makes a trip up Mount Sinai, and it's written on tables of stone, thou shalt not kill. But Cain was punished for killing his brother. Why? Because that's God's morality. God's morality didn't start with Moses' law. God's morality did not begin with Moses' law. Think about this. Think about this. Joseph in the Old Testament refused to succumb to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Why? He didn't have the law. Moses hadn't been born yet. Moses wouldn't be born for hundreds of years. There were no tables of stone. But Joseph said, I can't do this. I'm not going to sin against God. See, adultery was a sin before Moses' law. 
It existed before the law ever came into being. And God expressed it. God, God gave a king a dream. He said, if you take Abraham's wife, I'm going to kill you. Why was God going to do that when this is long before Moses ever had the tables of stone? It's because God's morality doesn't change. Now listen, it was wrong before Moses' law because God's morality doesn't change. It's wrong after Moses' law because God's morality doesn't change. What God considered holy, He still considers holy. What God considered an abomination, He still considers an abomination. It's just as binding on us today as it's ever been because He changes not. The moral law existed before Israel became a nation. The moral law existed before Judaism became a religion. And God has always expected His people to follow His moral law. Lying was wrong before Moses, and it's still wrong today. Now, what's that got to do with the subject at hand? Well, I'm going to tell you. Tithing did not begin under Moses' law. Tithing started long before Moses. We go back to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Read. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, and which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithe of all. Now, Melchizedek was the priest. He was the go-between between man and God. That's what a priest was. The intermediary. The mediator between man and God. That's what the priest was. And Abram when he met Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed him, and Abram gave the priest a tithe of all. Now, for your information, this was 420 years before Moses law. 420 years. 
before the law. God's friend. God's man. The child of God paid tithes to the priest 420 years before Moses' law. And then, and then, now, before I go any further, let's just, I'm going to throw in a scripture here. Uh, it's, it's in the notes. I had it planned. John 8, verse 39. I don't want to forget this. Just, I'm just throwing this in free of charge. Now, now what, did Abram, what did Abram do? Abram paid tithes. Abram paid tithes of all to the priest. Right? All right. So now let's let's listen to something Jesus said. Just this just free of charge. John 8:39 says, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto Jesus him, said, If ye were Abraham's, if you're Abraham's children, children, ye would do the works of you'd Abraham. You'd do what Abraham did. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. So let's just pay our tithe. <laughs> now you weren't expecting that surprise ending, were you? That was, that's... Jesus said, if you're, if you're the child of Abraham, you ought to do what Abraham did. Abraham paid tithes. All right, now, that's 420 years. Let's skip, let's skip a little bit here. 280 years before the law, Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And so 140 years after Abraham, 280 years before the law, Abraham's grandson comes along, and he said, you know what, I really need the favor of God in my life. There's something I need to take care of. I'm going to start paying my tithes. This wasn't a one-time thing. He said, of everything you give me, I'm going to give you the tenth. Well, hallelujah. I submit to you today, tithing in our text was called holy unto the Lord. Remember that the words holy and abomination are key words in determining God's morality. God said the tithe is holy unto Him. Therefore, this is a part of God's morality. Therefore, it started before the law and continues after the law. Now, here's another thing that a lot of folks who don't take the time to rightly divide the word may not know. 
But in the Old Testament, there were actually three sets of tithes that were paid. This is when we start rejoicing that we're no longer in the Old Testament. There were three separate distinct tithes which the Israelites were to pay. And I'm going to tell you, I've read a lot of folks who go in and, and pull a passage on one of these other tithes and use it to try to disparage the practice of tithing today. This is where they've got, they've got a, a total misconception of what's being discussed. There were three different tithes. Now remember, the Jewish people fit three categories. Jewish nation, Jewish religion, God's people. There was a tithe that was paid under each of those categories. Remember that the civil law dealt with how you should handle the poor among you. Right? That's a part of the civil law. So let's read Deuteronomy 14 verses 28 and 29. At the end of seven of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine, increase the same year, and shall lay it upon up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all thy work of thine hand which thou doest. Now. I would point out, first of all, in verse 28, it starts with, at the end of three years. So this was not a tithe that was paid all the time. This was once every three years. One time every three years, the people had to give an additional 10%. And that 10% was dedicated specifically for the poor. This was their, quote, unquote, welfare program. Once every three years, they paid an extra 10%. And, and they were to bring it, lay it up in the gates, and anybody that was poor, anybody that was needy could come and take of that. And you might notice, he said, and the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. So it was all the poor plus the Levites. They got a part of this as well. All right? So this was, this was under the civil law. It's what is called the poor tithe. The tithe for the poor. Part of the civil law. Now again, we're not a part of the Jewish nation. We don't do that. We pay taxes to the government. And those taxes are used to take care of the poor, supposedly. Although I think a lot of the taxes are taking care of the rich. Like the congressmen and senators. And I'm not going to get into politics today. But I think they're probably getting more of our money than anybody else is. Anyhow, be that as it may. I'm just here to tell you that we don't live under the Jewish civil law today. So we don't pay the poor tithe. All right? Then there was the feast tithe. Now remember, the feasts were their holidays. 
Their holidays came under the category of their religious ceremony. So there was a feast tithe. Let's read about this. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thy, thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God shall bless thee, then, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place where the Lord thy God hath, shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thou soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within my gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. All right, now this is an interesting tithe. This feast tithe was ordained to pay the Jews' way to Jerusalem during their holidays. There were certain holidays, certain feast days, where they had to go to Jerusalem to keep those feasts. Pentecost was one of those. That's why there were devout men from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem. The, the ceremonial law required them to go to Jerusalem. But God said, some of you are going to be living way too far away. It's going to be too expensive for you to get to Jerusalem, but I want you there. And he said, some of you, when you take your tithe, it's going to be just way too much. Because remember, they're tithing off of their corn, off of their animals, off of everything. And it's just going to be way too much for you to carry that distance. So he said, the important thing is, I want you in Jerusalem because this is a holiday and we're going to have a party. Really, that's what he's saying. You're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to have a party. It's going to be a great time. Everybody get together in Jerusalem for a party. And if you can't afford it or you've got too much to carry it all, then go and sell it, get some money, pay your way to Jerusalem, but get to Jerusalem. And once you get to Jerusalem, the money you've got left, use it, spend it, buy what you want to buy, have a big party on your holiday. Which is another reason why I say God's not opposed to us having holiday celebrations. God instituted this. Now, this was not their normal tithe. This was their feast tithe. This was a, a 10% that they set back. It was a required savings account leading up to the holiday. Wouldn't be a bad idea to keep people from going in debt. But it's not a requirement anymore because we're not a part of the Jewish religion. And so that feast tithe was done away with. We don't have to do that. Well, I would think everybody would say, thank God. But there is still a tithe we have to do. And if we have to add all these other tithes on there, we're going to have to take two jobs just to pay our tithes. But that second tithe is not required. It was a feast tithe to help the Jews get to Jerusalem to celebrate their holidays, all right? 
It was a part of their Jewish religion, their ceremonial law, and it's no longer required. But then there was a third tithe. Remember, there are three categories. There's a third tithe. And this is what we call the Levitical tithe. The Levitical tithe went entirely for the livelihood of the Levites. Now, I would just point out to you again that even in the civil, the, the poor tithe under the civil law, part of that went to the Levites. Their ceremonial tithe, the feast tithe, part of that went to the Levites. But then their Levitical tithe, all of that went to the Levites. Let's read about that one in Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am now thy he's part. speaking to the Levites now through, through Aaron. He's telling Aaron, you and your descendants, you're not going to have part of any of this other stuff. Because I'm going to take care of you. Read. I am thy part and thine inheritance when among they divided the children up, of Israel. When they divided up the, the, the land of Israel among the 12 tribes, they did not give any land to the Levites. When you look at a map of ancient Israel and they've got it divided, here's where Simeon was, here's where Benjamin was. Here's, Levite's not on there. Levi is not on there. They didn't get a portion of land. Now they did get cities of refuge that were theirs. But they were to be scattered throughout the land. The people needed the Levites. And many of them were to just stay in Jerusalem where the temple would be, or the tabernacle of old. Stay around that tabernacle and serve that tabernacle. And so they didn't get a portion of land that was theirs. God said, I am your portion. I'm your part. I'm your inheritance. I'll take that over a piece of land any day. Let's read on. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in I've Israel. I have given to the children of Levi all of the tenth. In Israel for an inheritance, for their service for which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the, come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, I, 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 I'll come back to this, and I'm, I know I'm going to have to do this in at least two parts. Because I've still got so far to go. But I do want to just point this out very, very quickly here. Verse 21 is talking about the tithe going to the Levites. Verse 22, it says, neither must the children of Israel come nigh to the tabernacle. Now, he's just talked about bringing the tithe to the tabernacle. And he's saying to the children of Israel, when that tithe comes in, you stay away. That tithe is not yours. It's not for the feast. It's not for the poor. That tithe is strictly for those who minister at the tabernacle. All right, read. Lest they bear sin and die. Uh -huh. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. I'm giving an obligation to the Levites. And they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. 
that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. Mm -hmm. But the children of, of the but the tithe of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So here's what God said. I intentionally have not given them any land or any other inheritance. Their inheritance is the tithe. That's what they get. The rest of the tribes get land. They can work. They can, they, they can live off of the land. They can raise their cattle. They can raise their sheep. They can do all these things off the land that I'm giving them. I'm not doing that for the Levites. Their inheritance is the tithe. That's what belongs to them. And so this tithe, this tithe, is the tithe being spoken of in our text. Leviticus 27, verse 30, read. And all the tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. It is what? Holy. It is what? Holy. It's holy. That makes the tithe, this tithe, the Levitical tithe, a part of God's moral law. This was the tithe that started with Abraham. The tithe that went to the priest. That was the tithe that started before the law. That was a part of God's morality. It was before the law and it has continued after the law. Well, praise God. This is the way God set it up. This is God's moral law. It's never been stopped. It's never been halted. It's still in effect today. Anything that's a part of God's moral law is still binding upon us today because we are the people of God. And so we have an obligation before God to obey God's morality. To not practice witchcraft, to not practice homosexuality, to make sure there's a distinction in the way we dress. All the things that God said were abominable unto him, we want to avoid. And the things that God said were holy unto him, we want to observe. And one of the things that God said was holy was tithe. Not the feast tithe and not the poor tithe. He didn't call those holy unto God. But this Levitical tithe, he called holy. This tithe belongs to God. It is God's portion. Now that's important for you to remember when we start getting into, because I'm, I'm still in the Old Testament. Hopefully that doesn't bother you that I'm in the Old Testament but let me just give you a heads up. I'm not going to most likely get to it today. I might. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I want to tell you that tithing is not just in the Old Testament. This is one of the lies that keeps getting spread, is that the New Testament does not address tithing. Well, I'm going to tell you the New Testament does address tithing. Jesus addressed tithing. Paul addressed tithing. 
And I'm going to show you that before I'm done with this, obviously, series. In the past, I've tried to rush through this, and I just felt like as I was preparing, I did not want to rush this lesson. If it takes me two Sundays or three Sundays to get it all out, that's what I'm going to do. But I want to make sure that we understand it because it's important to God. This is holy unto Him. Well, hallelujah. So, so here's a couple of just things we need to know about tithing. This holy practice according to the scripture. First thing I want you to see, and this is a lengthy portion of scripture, so, so bear with us here. Second Chronicles 31, in fact, might help if you just open your Bible to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 31. If you're having trouble finding it, it comes right after First Chronicles. Hallelujah. So 2 Chronicles chapter 31, and we're going to start with verse 4 and read down through verse 12. So it's a lengthy portion of Scripture, but, but bear with us here. I want you to hear everything that's being said. 2 Chronicles 31, beginning with verse 4. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priest and the Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the fruit, first fruits of the corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and, all, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought them in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated unto the Lord their God and laid them by heaps. In the third month they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his, and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have, had, and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed his people. That which is left is, the, is, is, is this great store. Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them and brought in offerings and the tithes and dedicated things faithfully over which Coniah the Levite was ruler and Shimei his brother was next was the next now let me just let me tell you what's going on here Hezekiah has just become king well he had become king some time before but he he is the king now his father Ahaz before him did not do what was right and turned the heart of Israel against God. And so a lot of things got neglected during Ahaz's reign. Hezekiah comes in as king and he starts turning things around. He starts trying to get things back to, way, to the way that they should be. 
And it takes him some time. You're going to have to read through a few chapters to get to the point where we are here in chapter 31 to see the things that Hezekiah is doing. He institutes the Passover again. They neglected Passover. Things that Hezekiah did because he was really trying to do what was right in the sight of God. And he's working his way through all of this as king, trying to figure out, all right, what else have we neglected? What else did we fail to do? What else is wrong? And he realizes we haven't, we haven't taken care of the tithing situation. This has not been happening the way it should. So he issued a proclamation as king. It's time for you to pay your tithes again. You, you've, been, you've been neglecting your duty before God. And he commanded the people, verse 4 said, to give the portion of the priests and the Levites. Commanded them to do this. And so the people began doing it. They were following this good leader. They wanted to please God. He was turning their hearts back to God. And they wanted to please God. And so they started doing it. And they hadn't paid tithes in a while. And they're, they're doing their best to get things right. And so they start bringing in. And they bring in and bring in and bring in and bring in and bring in. And the Bible says that Hezekiah and the princes came, this is verse 8, and they saw the heaps. I mean, they brought in so much, it's piled up. And they didn't stop just because it was piled up. See, I, I know it's not an issue here, but... Again, I'm not just trying to teach you, but I'm, I know how these messages get around the Internet. I know what happens. People listen. And so I say some things that's not necessarily for the crowd that's present, but the crowd that will hear. So, yes, I'm talking to you that's listening right now. I'm after the fact or whatever. But I... I I have heard people say, that preacher doesn't need my tithes. That church doesn't need my tithes. But I want you to see that what was going on here, in order to bring the favor of God, it didn't matter whether it was needed. It only mattered that it was commanded. And so they brought it in and brought it in and brought it in. They didn't stop because it was no longer needed. They brought it in in heaps. And, and, and Azariah says in, in, in verse 10, Azariah the chief priest, he said, since they've started bringing in, we've had enough to eat and there's plenty left. And he said, the heaps that you see is what's left over. After we've done everything we know to do with what they brought in, the heaps are the leftovers of how much they've brought of their tithe. And so Hezekiah said, well, here's what we're going to do. He didn't say start giving it back. He said, let's build some storehouses. And we're going to store this. We're going to set it up, and we're going to keep it. 
Because there may come another day when people are not doing it as faithfully. And so we're going to store it up. They didn't tell them, take it back. We don't need it anymore. They set it aside for future need. When it was more than the Levites needed, the people didn't start putting the Levites on a percentage. Or you can only have 60% of this. Or you don't need that much. They didn't do that. Instead, they established a tithing account. And said it's going to be here for future need. Now, it wasn't used to repair the building. It wasn't used to upgrade the building. Oh, it's gotten really quiet now. But you can study this out as well, and I, I know I'm, I'm pushing here to get through some other passages, but, but I'm going to tell you that any time that they started doing work on the tabernacle or the building, it was done through free will offerings, not through tithing. And I'll deal with that more in another portion of this le lesson, but, but it was exclusively to be used by the priests. Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. And the Lord spoke, spake again unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel. I've given the children of Levi all, everyone say all, all the tenth in Israel. In Israel for inheritance, uh -huh. for their service which they serve, right. even the service among the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout their, your generations, and among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Neither have I, have I said unto them, among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. And so God made it very clear. This is the inheritance of the Levites. This is the way I expect the Levites to live and to do service around the tabernacle. This is the way I expect them to make their living. And when it came time to build a building or to update or upgrade, the people were commanded to give an offering. Now I'm going to show you, I won't do it today because my time is almost up. In fact, you can come and start playing. I'm, 
I'm at a point now where I'm just getting ready to start into the New Testament tithing. So this is not really a good place to stop, but going further would not be beneficial for you getting to lunch. <laughs> if everybody wants to declare a fast day, I can keep going. But I don't think anybody came today with a plan. <laughs> Maybe some of you did. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about this. But God expected the upkeep of His house to be done through giving above the tithe. The tithe was always specifically for the Levites and their livelihood. Now, this is the way it was to be done. Now, the Levites had to pay tithes, too. The Levites paid tithes to the high priest that was over them. There is a tithe of the tithe. And so don't think that when I talk about the Levites, the ministry, and I'll show you that Paul made that connection between the Levites and the ministry. I'll show you that in the next lesson, Lord willing. But don't think that I'm saying that, that the ministry doesn't have to do this too. In fact, you, you'll see me every Sunday morning. I have a special envelope so everybody knows when it's time to receive tithe, I've got tithe for my pastor. And the contents of that envelope does not stay in this local assembly. It, it is mailed to my pastor because I believe that's the way it's supposed to be done. See, tithing, and this is I'm getting into some other things here, but tithing is really an act of submission. People who have problems with tithing have problems with submission. But I'm submitted to my pastor. And one of the ways I show him my submission is that every week, if I get a check, I send him a tithe. That's the way I do it. Well, praise God. I believe that's the way God wants it to be. Now, I would say this too because I'm trying to find ways to close this down. I ju there's just not a good stopping place here. There's just not a comfortable. There's nothing I can say now to make you come running to the altar. And <laughs> so I just got to close somehow. And my wife is the absolute best. The absolute best. Altar call. Song finder in the apostolic movement. And I've said that for years, but it's going to be interesting to see what she does this morning.
She, she has had a knack throughout my ministry to just know this is the song. This is what I want. This, is, this fits the moment. And she's been good about it. So we'll see how all that kicks in today. No pressure. No pressure. She can handle pressure. She's lived with me for almost 42 years. She can handle pressure, I can promise you. I don't even know what I was saying before I got to all that. Uh, oh, I, 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 I'll say this. When I talk about the Levites, you should not think that it is, that's only preachers. Because the Levites actually involved a lot of things. There were Levites that never served in the priesthood. And I know there's a lot of men that would disagree with what I'm saying right now. But there were Levites that never served in the priesthood. There were Levites that their job was singers. That's what they were doing. There were Levites that their job was the transportation of the furnishings of the tabernacle. The upkeep of the tabernacle. They were maintenance men and janitors. They were singers. They were musicians. There were a lot of other people in the tribe of Levi besides just priests. In fact, Levi had three sons. And the priests could only come from the lineage of one of those three sons. The other two, they're still Levites. But they can't be priests. And so don't think that that means only the preacher can live off of the tithing. Now, obviously without a preacher you're not going to have much of a church. But when the church gets large enough and there's enough income to hire secretaries, to hire a choir director, to hire a youth leader, there's no reason that can't be paid out of the tithing. I think that fits the biblical model. You understand? So I'm not saying any of these things to make myself rich. I'm saying it because this is what the scripture teaches. And I want you to understand the scriptural principle. And, and there's a lot more that I want to I tell you about this whole subject because we really do. A lot of people are very confused about the difference between tithes and offerings. And there's a lot of people who feel like as long as they have given the tithe, that's all that's required. But I'm going to show you scripturally in some installment in this series that God really wants more than that. He really does. But that'll be another lesson for another day. Maybe a good song will be, I will give you all. 
I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That, that, that is a crazy way to end the service. Um, it reminds me of the preacher who got up and started preaching against the evil of alcohol. And he said, I tell you, somebody ought to take all the whiskey in the world and go pour it in the river. Somebody ought to take all the beer in the world and pour it in the river. Somebody ought to take all the wine in the world and pour it in the river. When it came time to play the closing song, the song leader got up and said, let's all turn to number such and such and sing. Let's all go down to the river. <laughs> Shall we gather at the river? Jesus. All right, well, if I can't have you run into the altar crying, maybe I can bring you down here laughing. But hey, if I can teach a lesson on tithing and you can walk out of here smiling, then I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> Not too many men can claim that, I can promise you. I have folks walk out of here smiling after having a lesson on tithing. Oh, Jesus, help us, help us, help us. But I'm just telling you, this is what God wants, and this is the way to bring the favor of God upon us, is to do the things that God wants us to do. I heard an elder say one time, if you really want your church to have revival, the key is this, learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And I've talked to you about something God loves to do. God really does love when His people Give to Him what is rightfully His. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's talk to Him right now. Everybody, let's lift our voices. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord.